welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today, guys, we are bringing you the episode of Carly Gousset. We have been saying that name a little wrong for a little while. Yeah, we hadn't had the opportunity to hear her name out loud, so apologize for any mispronunciation. We're also going to do some things that we haven't done in a while, which is give out a shout out to our top Patreons, which apparently we've been calling it patrons, but it's Patreons. Learning a lot this week. Yeah, so it's called Patreons. <laughs> well, we will be doing a shout out to our Patreons for this week, which is Midnight Charcoal. Woohoo, Midnight Charcoal. What, what? Yes, Midnight Charcoal has been one of our top Patreons for a long time and has really just been one of the biggest supporters that we've come across. Cannot stress enough on how wonderful this human being is, and we really appreciate all your hard work and efforts. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here where we are today. Thank you again for being one of our biggest supporters. Also, Priscilla Emanuel, Daniel Smith, Nikki Moore, and Rachel Parkhurst. Thank you very much for all of you guys being our biggest Patreons, and we appreciate you, and we'll continue to keep giving our shout-outs to all of our Patreons. Also wanted to mention that somebody in the comments section was talking about how we spend a lot of time talking about case details, and sometimes we don't get a lot of information from spirits directly. I did want to point out that sometimes the spirits are more willing to speak than others. Sadly, I have no control over what they say or what they give me, and when we do have any updates, we always give updates. So sorry that our conversations about some cases are a little bit on the longer side, but we also want to make sure that everyone knows exactly what's going on in the case before we communicate with the spirits, because although it may be common knowledge to you, it may not be common knowledge to others. And a lot of times when we do these cases, we don't even know the information either. But we also want to put that information out there to everybody, just so that everyone has a chance to hear it all, form their own opinion, and then we can dissect it piece by piece. Like, was this true? Was this not true? This really happened. This didn't happen, you know? Absolutely, including Carly's case. So we have been waiting to cover her case for a while because, you know, her eyes just looked as though they hid a thousand secrets. And then we obviously made her episode a bonus and we got to that 25K followers on the podcast our next one is at 100K, so guys, make sure to tell everyone about the podcast, share it on your Facebook page, share it on your social medias, talk about it out loud, get everyone over here, because we need way, way more followers to listen to us over here. Absolutely, and also sometimes the media, you know, gets information wrong. We also want to point out that as a secondary job, we both do. Once Liz does finish the video calls, which she will be done by April 1st, then we will be able to focus more heavily on these cases and making the episodes a little longer and hopefully with a lot more information. And so there is a lot of changes that are coming very soon. So yes, keep an eye out for that. We are super close to April. So woohoo! I'm glad that we got all of that out there just to make sure people were aware. Now, with all that being said, let's not waste any more time and pull out our next episode. I did want to also point out, because this has been something a few people have brought up, I've only run into one situation in 150 episodes that we have brought forward, 
And that was obviously Jean Benet's case. And it was because her mother was the one lying about what took place to protect her son who was alive. And that's not going to happen anymore. This was like a one-off. A lot of people have been saying, well, if you're wrong about that one, then maybe you're wrong about this one. It wasn't that I was wrong. I was lied to. So no other people that I've communicated with have given me different stories, nor will they. This just happened to be one of those one-off situations. Absolutely. You know, JonBenet was very young and also her mother is also passed on with her up there. So, you know, a lot of other people don't, especially the kids, don't have that person, you know, like that's still trying to protect them that's passed on like their parents, you know? Absolutely. But I'm definitely glad that you said something because there has been a few people saying stuff, but I want to let you know 100% accurate all the time. (laughs) Thank you. All righty. Well, let's get back to the episode now. Now, Carly Gousset was a 16-year-old female who was reported missing by her family on the morning of October 13th, 2018. Carly was last seen by her family at their residence in White Mountain Estates area in Chalfont Valley in Mono County, California. Now, leading up to her disappearance, Carly called her stepmother and asked her stepmother for a ride home. Now, she had actually gone to a party to smoke marijuana, and from what I gather, she was just a kid. She wanted to go party. Oh, hey, Mom, I'm going to football, but really she was going to her boyfriend's place or her boyfriend's friend's place, you know. She did leave in the wee hours of the morning while her family slept and was last seen by the highway near her house. And, you know... When it comes to marijuana, some people can handle it, some people can't. I mean, that definitely happens to people sometimes, but not very often. For some people, it can be, you know, different than others. Some people panic, some people worry, some people have anxiety, some people get paranoid. You know, it causes some of those issues. And then other people are totally chill, totally fine. They're able to do things. A lot of people can function better when they smoke. So, you know, everybody's different. But Carly was not somebody who could handle it, clearly, or at least this time around. Maybe, you know, it was laced with something. I also want to point out that if you're not in the best headspace and you decide to smoke marijuana, it can affect you mentally. If you rely on it fixing any of those things that you're stressing out about, it may actually do the complete opposite effect and make you think worse of the situation. And uh, marijuana can mess with you if it's not taken under supervision, which is why kids shouldn't be doing it. Now, Carly was born on May 13, 2002. She was only born a month before our daughter, Selena, was born, which makes you think. Carly was only 16 years old when she went missing. Her parents, Zachary Gousset and Lindsay Gousset, divorced when Carly was two years old in 2009. Zachary married a woman named Melissa, and they had two children together. Carly and her older brother went and moved in with Zachary and his new wife, And their kids, she was close with all of them, state sources, that Carly's mother, Lindsay, lives in Nevada. Yes, and apparently Carly and her brother really, really liked Melissa. Carly was someone that would be considered hardworking, and she treated everyone with kindness. She wanted to embrace life and make real genuine moves happen in her life. Now, people told investigators that Carly loved making friends, was a very dedicated student, and was definitely someone who was special. Carly was a sophomore. 
Her stepmother, Melissa, worked as an escrow assistant, and Carly worked for the same company. Now, in August of 2018, Zach and Melissa moved into this mountain estate area valley located in the Mono County, California. This was a very rural area. There was not a lot in the area either besides the housing community and the terrain and obviously the highway. Now, according to Melissa, Carly was happy at the beginning of 2018, and she wasn't really affected by the move because she was still in the same school district. Carly had started dating a junior named Donald Arrowwood III. Her friend Taylor told People Magazine that Carly wasn't as close with her friends after she started dating Donald. This same year, Carly got in trouble at school for coming to class high. So before her disappearance, she had asked Melissa for permission to go to a football game with her boyfriend, and Melissa gave her permission to go. Now, around 8.30 p.m., Carly called Melissa and asked for a ride home. According to Melissa, she sounded frantic during this call, and she didn't want Melissa to hang up on her. Melissa was obviously observant and didn't hear any sort of football game sounds in the background at all. She asked Carly where she was. Carly told her that she was running down Dixon Lane. Now, when Melissa arrived, she had seen Carly running down the road with her flashlight on. Melissa was alarmed by her behavior and asked her what was going on. Carly told her she was so scared. She also confessed about lying that she had gone to the game. She informed Melissa that she had gone to a party with her boyfriend. She smoked marijuana. Donald spoke to somebody in Las Vegas and said that Carly had started panicking and that she hadn't smoked in a while. And that's probably the reason why she was acting strange. Mm-hmm. Come on now. This was not uncommon for Carly. She had this kind of reaction to marijuana before, which doesn't surprise me, but I know the struggle with smoking. It doesn't happen to everyone, but it does happen sometimes. I'm feeling as though this was not marijuana-related, though. Carly was panicking in the vehicle, saying that her mother was driving too fast. They got back to the house at 9 p.m. Carly had sent a message to Donald saying that she felt like the weed was laced with something. Even if she ate, like, an edible or something, she just didn't feel like it was right. Yeah, that's very true. I know myself personally, anything edible-related always feels like you're going to die if you take too much. It is not a good experience, and if you do not take it in moderation or you take a piece that is, like, potent as shit, you can have a really bad, bad trip, and it's too much. Yeah, you've done that before. Now, Melissa actually recorded Carly during the time of her being very high to show her later on when she wasn't high anymore and to ask her some questions about what took place at this time. Now, she recorded approximately eight minutes of Carly. She got a lot of backlash and retaliation to this recording, but we'll talk about that a little later on. Carly and Melissa hung out until about 5.30 in the morning, and Carly was apparently doodling on a piece of paper and then fell asleep. There's also a story stating that Melissa had fallen asleep and had seen Carly on the bed with her eyes open and then went back to sleep. And Melissa then was looking for Carly and couldn't find her. She searched the entire house. They soon realized that her phone was still there. A neighbor by the name of Richard had seen Carly at about 6.30 in the morning. He was in his jacuzzi drinking coffee when he saw Carly walking by the house. Imagine being in a jacuzzi drinking coffee right in the morning. What a life. Right? I really believe that this 
neighbor in the jacuzzi definitely saw her. I know that he wasn't 100% sure if it was her or not because he really didn't know her, but I really do believe that he saw her. He was very observant. Now she was wearing a white top with some gray bottom. She had also had a white piece of paper with her. Looking up at the sky, Melissa had told the police that she had already contacted all of her friends and no one had seen her, including her boyfriend Donald. They also explained the unusual behavior from the night before. Melissa didn't feel as though Carly had run away. She shared her audio recordings and mentioned neighbor sightings sounds like she was really doing everything she needed to do basically to make seem like she wasn't hiding anything at this point now melissa said that she was wearing skinny jeans and a sweater after the party a friend named james gave donald and carly a ride and took them to donald's house carly became extremely paranoid and then ran away from donald's donald then texted carly a few more times that night but he was home the rest of the night. His father was also able to confirm that he was there for the rest of the night. Yeah, and I mean, she lived really far out of town, so like that was a, a, a trail and a half. I doubt he would have got to her for sure. Now, I do want to talk about Donald, though, for a minute. Everyone has noticed a change in her behavior since the two of them started dating. Although I feel as though he was a very bad influence on her and pressured her into doing a lot of different things... You know, so she can be cool or fit in. But I honestly don't feel as though he did anything to hurt or harm her. He does, however, know way more than what he's saying, which could technically help the investigation. So if you're listening, Donald, I get it. You're afraid to say anything because of the a backlash in the media. But I would definitely come out and talk about the little details of what happened since you guys are adults now. Now, they took the smoking devices from James and was able to determine that their story did add up, that they were all at the house at that time via security footage. Carly was able to walk to her mom's car with no issues. Carly's friends had noticed that she had became more depressed during dating Donald and that James's house was a place where you could just go smoke weed and also do other things as well. Other things, huh? They were able to test the marijuana and was able to determine that what they were using, what they provided them, was not laced with anything. A second person came forward saying that they had also seen her. They were only approximately seven houses away and she was wearing gray pants, white shirt, holding a piece of paper. There was also a third person who also came forward saying that they had seen Carly on the highway or at least along the highway. The person that had seen her on the highway did not come forward previously because they were doing some things that they, you know, shouldn't have been doing. Now that this person is sober, they understand the consequences of their actions and wanted to step forward, which is awesome. They didn't set up an Amber Alert because this case was not considered an abduction. She had left on her own. They did search for her everywhere, including the desert they had used cadaver dogs, which, by the way, they lost the scent along the highway location, which is only a few minutes away from their home. Carly's mother, Lindsay, thinks that she was on some sort of LSD. Carly had recently asked Lindsay about the drug LSD, and she told her that it was very dangerous. Lindsay started to question Zach and Melissa. She appeared on the Nancy Grace show. 
There is a lot of conspiracies out there that Zach and Melissa had some sort of connection to her disappearance. Lindsay started asking Zach if it was possible that Melissa smothered her in her sleep, which caused people to question her about that. I mean, I can understand where Lindsay's coming from, I guess, in the sense of being suspicious about everything because she's not really around in the house to know. But I also feel as though, like, attacking, you know, the entire family that was taking care of her is also not the way to go, you know? Everybody does parenting styles differently. She wasn't, you know there like I said to say anything or see what actually took place how Melissa really treated her yeah it is true because I believe that Melissa and Zach could at any time fire back you know because they were the main parents in this situation but they have you know yet to do so and fire back at Lindsay at least from what I've seen I also feel bad for them I understand a lot of people including people in the neighborhood are super suspicious of them, that they had something to do with it. But, guys, this is not it. So if you're looking for me to give you some details about how they were involved in this, you are listening to the wrong podcast because I don't feel that way at all. And, like, where's the proof that this Lindsay person told her that it was bad? Like, why aren't you in the kid's life? Projection, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? I just feel like, you know, both parents... Melissa and Zach, they cooperated, they gave, you know, a full scope of their entire house, everything, their phones, you know, whatever they could muster up, they gave, you know, away. That doesn't seem like suspicious people would hide things and not want people to come in, you know? Absolutely. The family, you know, also went on the Dr. Phil show as well. Zach and Melissa were together during that interview. Lindsay had her own interview by herself. When I feel like it's, you know, parents are trying to be there for their kid, they should be all together as a united front. I'm not exactly sure what happened because I didn't get to see it, but I'm pretty sure there was a reason they did it that way. But yes, I understand what you're saying. Now, Melissa did tell Dr. Phil that she had lied about checking in on Carly. The real story was is that she just went back to bed, didn't check on Carly, and from what I gather, it was because she was genuinely afraid that she would be looked at as a bad parent if she ignored checking on Carly. And at that point, she also thought the kid would end up coming home at some point. I mean, you know, that's definitely bad that Melissa lied to the police, you know, in relation to Carly, but... She also thought that, you know, Carly would be found very soon. She was also 16. She was a teenager. Kids blow off steam. I don't think she was really thinking that Carly was going to disappear and never be seen again. Absolutely. And again, everybody's parenting style is different. I also want to point out that she had initially told the police that, and then very soon after that, she had reached out and recanted that statement, but none of that was recorded. Of course it wasn't because they just want to make her look like she's the problem. Yes. Now, Lindsay also is coming out making some statements about how Carly had serious side effects to the drugs that they hid in her body. James, her friend, was charged with giving her marijuana that day that she went home. I mean, I agree with her personally thinking that there, you know, was some sort of side effects from it. Maybe from a bigger drug, like it was laced. I think it was laced. And that stuff takes a lot longer to leave your body. Absolutely. And I also want to point out, like, that was really dumb on their part to charge James giving her marijuana. Like, I get that they're trying to do something for this case, but all it's done is, like, 
Now, if this kid has any more information, he's not going to say anything because he got charged with the marijuana stuff, you know? Anyway, like, gosh, they don't know how to be detectives over there. There is now potentially a good lead out there. Somebody picking her up and taking her to Nevada. I really believe that this particular lead should be heavily looked into. And that is probably the biggest lead for them in the sense of where they should be looking. I also sense that she was taken to Nevada. So that's kind of the direction I'm sensing. Now, this case doesn't really have a whole lot of details. Now, I know that we have a lot of questions surrounding this case. So we'll start with the first one. My first one is if she is still around. It truly breaks my heart to say this, but I do not feel as though she is still alive. I do, however, feel that she was alive for a while, but I'll explain that as we carry on. From what I gather, Carly was very sheltered in the sense of her family and support system, and they were really involved in her life. She really couldn't be away from her family too much without any sort of assistance. She relied on her family quite a bit. Like, she shows me, like, you know, she would need somebody's help in the kitchen or with her homework or even opening up a bottle of pop. Like, she was really dependent on them. I do not feel as though she would just vanish into thin air without anything happening on social media, without her phone, without her friends. You know, she was not ready for that kind of big world yet. I mean, you know, I get that, you know, vibe from her as well, that she was definitely dependent on her family. Now, what happened at that party? Do we know anything about it? I keep seeing that they were very persuasive on their end and, you know, what she should do or shouldn't do. And I feel as though her boyfriend would judge her hard if she was not to partake in the drug activities, which is why she would do it most of the time because of the peer pressure. But she does show me that she had moments where she hesitated a lot or she would say no. Now, when it came to this particular party, I believe that the boys gave her a combination of two drugs plus the marijuana. I keep seeing that initially she was planning to go to the game. In fact, I feel like they were all planning to go to the game. But at the last minute, they decided not to and decided to go back home and dabble in the drugs and drug fun as they felt like they were going to have a better time there anyway. Now, does she disclose what she was taking? So I see that there were definitely pop brownies. I also see that there was marijuana and I agree with Lindsay when it comes to her seeing the LSD connection. I also feel as though LSD was a big part of it. Now, from what Carly shows me, luckily, she did not have much of an edible, a very small microdose, if you will, and that she had a marijuana, which was not giving her too much of an effect this particular day. It was not laced with anything, obviously, as we had seen. But I feel as though one of the friends, it could be an older friend, and it definitely does not feel like it's James or Don. I see this person was really not even in high school, and they decided to give Carly some LSD to see what would happen. I personally see that she didn't willingly take it. I'm seeing that they pretended it was something else and gave it to her, and then once they gave it to her, they, like, revealed, Haha, you got LSD, we were joking. And kind of laughing out around her, which, I mean, this poor girl is obviously drugged and panicking. And I'm seeing that nothing bad happened initially. She was being really funny. They were enjoying laughing. She was having a good time. And then things escalated. I mean, yeah. So obviously that makes things 
start to take a turn for the worse. So what happened after that? Well, I also want to mention that whoever had drugged her had left the party as soon as she started getting weird and took the rest of the LSD drugs with him. So really nothing there to kind of confirm. Now, with any drugs, you really do have to be in a good mindset, like I said earlier. And from what Carly shows me, she doesn't feel like the boys meant to harm her. They were just fucking around. But she shows me that she did not enjoy being teased. She did not enjoy the feeling of being tricked. She was already upset. They had gotten into a bit of an argument at some point as well. Perhaps maybe one of his friends, I'm not exactly sure, could be female related. So maybe there was like a jealousy thing. And Don had a lot of friends. And sometimes Carly would get a little jealous, but he would get a jealous too. And his interaction with some females, you know, I see that this one girl didn't have any sort of relationship with anyone, but she was like really close to him. Carly was a bit emotional about it, which is why she turned during that time against him, was seeing him as like a bad guy. She should stay away from him because a few of her friends had also mentioned that he was a bad influence on her. And she also started to agree with them in this particular moment. So she positioned him to be the bad guy in her story in that moment. Definitely sounds like a lot of high school drama. Pretty much. She shows me that he did not mean to hurt her or try to hurt her in any capacity. The only thing that she would have done differently was not trust the boys in any sort of drugs. You know, they weren't going to rape her or hurt her or anything like that. The guys were at first trying to calm her down and tell her that everything was going to be okay, but she didn't believe them and she kept seeing figures above her head. And that was freaking her out, freaking them out. She shows me that they looked like little trolls from the Ernest Scared Stupid movie. They freaked her out and she needed some protection from her family, which is why she called Melissa to begin with, because Melissa was a lot easier to communicate with than her father when it came to saying that she had done some bad things. She did promise the boys that she would never reveal anything in relation to the LSD, but they were concerned that she would share information and they were like, okay, you need to go home because, you know, they were afraid she'd need to go to the hospital. They felt she would go home and sleep it off as well. That was their hope. And they did feel nervous about the results, which is why Dawn continued to keep checking on her from time to time as the night progressed. Now, when Carly got home, she got, you know, into her room. Did Melissa spend the evening with her, like she said? Yeah, she did. She also had been extremely worried about her because she was very paranoid. And they were worried she was going to take off because she kept referencing going and at the beginning Carly had been recorded obviously Melissa did find it entertaining but also did want to teach her that valuable lesson about doing this type of thing from what Carly shows me her head was spinning and spinning and spinning but she kept you know seeing and hearing different species and that were no longer you know they didn't really exist she was just throwing blame out to her family and letting her do whatever you know she wanted sometimes she was upset with them for minor issues, you know, but she shows me that she knew she was loved. She was not angry with them in any capacity. She was just angry because the drugs, you know, enhanced her emotions. She even shows me that at some point throughout the evening, Melissa may have pointed out that Dawn was not the best support system for her, and she may have been offended by that as well. She shows me she was definitely trying to get them to take her to the hospital because she felt like something bad was going to happen to her body or something would explode. But she shows me that she also didn't really stress the urgency of that. So she doesn't blame her parents 
for not taking her to the hospital because she felt like she would have been fine once she had gotten the opportunity to actually sleep it off. And she shows me she did fall asleep for approximately a half hour to 45 minutes. I mean, you know, kids these days, you know, sometimes they say stuff. Obviously, you know, when you're a teenager, we all were teenagers at one point in time. I don't think they were bad parents no. in any way. But that was also going to be my next question was after she fell asleep, what took place? Well, she showed me Melissa had tucked her in, made sure her blanket was on her body. She may have turned the lights off for her. The normal parent goodnight ritual, very late or rather early in the morning. Once Melissa had left the bedroom, she woke up in this very paranoid state, not really understanding where the hell she was. She shows me she felt like she was in some sort of time warp. She did not recognize the home, which made sense because it was fairly new to them. And she kept showing them that she wanted to go home. At least that's what she thought she was reiterating to her family. Now, did she do anything at that point? She shows me she was calling for her family to help her, but she also shows me that, you know, she realized that it wasn't really loud. She might have been whispering. She might have even been saying it in her head. And because no one had heard her, her stepmom, her father, they were all sleeping, obviously exhausted. She said that they were probably just going to let her go to sleep and sleep it off. So Melissa had planned to do something for her, you know, after she had woken up maybe take her to breakfast, have a conversation about what happened, laugh it off in a way too, you know, but that was basically it there. Now, did she have a good relationship with her biological mother, Lindsay, at all? Yeah, she shows me she did have a good relationship, but at times they did butt heads. They were girls after all. She says that Lindsay was more of like the best friend and she did talk to her mom about a lot of things she couldn't necessarily talk to Melissa or Zach about. She was more forgiving and understood some things. And the two of them weren't as understanding as her bio mom. Well, I'm glad to know that they did have a good relationship. So what happened when she woke up from her nap? As I said earlier, she was calling out to them and she didn't hear anything. She shows me that there was a younger male there. She tried to call out to him as well. Light hair, light eyes. She may have passed by her sibling asking them to accompany her, but I don't know. I think she was kind of like in a very unusual, sleepy trance, honestly. She just was trying to talk to people that were not responding to her. Well, what's with the uh, piece of paper that everybody says she had? Did she, like, change her clothes, write something down? She did change her clothes, as she showed me. She was getting a little chilly, but she also wanted to be comfortable. The clothes she was wearing before was not boding well for her. She does show me that she packed a bag and put some items in a bag, including the current clothes she was wearing, but I don't know if she actually took the bag or not with her because she's not showing that to me. When it comes to the paper, she shows me that it was a map. She was trying to find her old home, and she was trying to find her way there. Now, you know, this poor kid, she's like higher than a kite, not even realizing any of the consequences of this. She shows me she was trying to find her place. She also shows me she was trying to ask people that she felt like she can trust. She shows me that there were at least two people she had seen walking and she looked very dazed and confused. She's not even referring to the neighbors. She was trying to avoid the neighbors at all costs because she felt like she couldn't trust them. When she got, you know, closer to the highway, she shows me she started to hitchhike. And she was pointing at the map and asking people to take her places. 
I honestly feel like there could be at least two or three other witnesses to come forward or at least should come forward because, you know, they had interaction with this girl and they thought it was bizarre. I think that they should come forward because it was definitely Carly. I'm seeing that one of them was really freaked out by her. I do see that being a woman that they did stop for her because she did get on the highway. She looked like a young kid. You know, they were worried for her. She did try to flag people down, but there was one person going way too fast, didn't connect with her. And I'm thinking that this was the person that had, you know, almost swerved, almost hit her, which I also believe they need to come forward as well. Now, a lot of people have gotten the opportunity to see her, but yet nobody really paid attention to her to really talk about what direction she went in. Except for one. And from what I'm seeing, that there was a male predator who was just so happened to be driving down the highway. From what I gathered, she did not trust older men in any way. And he wasn't older. He was, I'd say, about 35 years old. He did look much younger for his age. He had brown hair. He was pretty tall. I would say he was sitting at about five foot eight, five foot nine. He had short hair. I would say he might have been sporting a crew cut. There's definitely a military connection to him as well. It is very possible he was thrown out of the military services for something pretty bad. I do feel as though he was heading to Nevada And when he saw Carly, she wanted to go home, and basically he offered her a ride. Obviously, he knew that she was under the influence of something because she was pretty messed up, which was good for him to take advantage of her, so it was really easy for him to just pick her up. She shows me that he was really calm, told her he would take her home, but he had to go to his place first. And because she was so high, she accepted her fate and reluctantly got into his vehicle, She did ask him if he was a murderer, and he laughed it off and told her he was not. I see that she sat in the back of his vehicle rather than the front. I also see that he had safety locks on the door, which prevented her from being able to open it at any time. I do see that she was pretty tired, so she just kind of passed out in his vehicle, not realizing where she was headed. She shows me she received such comfort from being in a vehicle while driving. She enjoyed falling asleep in cars, even though she had no idea what was about to take place. Now, do we know of any sort of name for this guy? Do we know, you know, the exact direction that he was heading in, at least towards Nevada? I'm hearing Brandon. I'd say the last name had the word son in it. So maybe, I don't know, Smithson, Thompson, something, something son. From what I gather, they were headed towards the strip. Very similar to the case that we did on TikTok a few weeks ago in relation to the Canadian sex trafficking thing. But he did have different plans in mind for her. So what happened when she woke up from this ride in the vehicle? She shows me she was extremely confused. She didn't even remember getting into the vehicle with this guy. And I believe that it was nightfall when she woke up. I do see that he was eating something and parked. And she was just starting to ask what the hell was going on, who he was, how she got there. He told her and she vaguely remembered it. She did still have her paper with the writing all over it. She may have even had a pen. She asked the guy to take her home. He said he couldn't because they were too far from home. She shows that she asked for a phone or a payphone or a store. She can call her family to come and get her. And he told her that that wasn't an option and that she owed him. I mean, what a piece of shit. Like, he could have did the right thing. What the fuck does she owe you? Well, Carly was really tiny. 
She was mighty but tiny. She shows me she started screaming because there was, you know, people around her. And so she started banging on the door, trying to open it. He told her to stop. She didn't listen. She told him she wanted her family. She shows me that he kept telling her she was better off and she was running away for a reason and that he was really trying to convince her. Otherwise, he did tell her he would take her home eventually, but she had to hang out with him for a bit. She finally reluctantly agreed, but she didn't want to, you know, go along with it. She just wanted to get home, and that was the best way she felt she could. I mean, obviously, she was never going to get home, it seems like, at this point in time. Now, is there anything that you can tell us about that situation? From what I see, this guy kept her for about six months. I'm not exactly sure where he kept her. Could have been a motel, car combination. I'm not sure. But I also see, you know, money saved up enough for himself to get a place eventually, too. She shows me it was a very bad place and that he pretended that she was his girlfriend and put her in the house. And that's where she stayed for the remainder of the six months. He had his moments where he was really nice to her and he had these moments where he was really mean. I would say he was suffering from like a a manic bipolar in addition to a psychosis, of course, because she shows me she tried her hardest to get along with him so that he could, you know, take her home or give her the opportunity to call someone. She also shows me she did try to obtain his phone several times while he was sleeping, but she was not able to access He would hide the phone code so she wasn't able to get in. They also didn't have internet service, so she was not able to do any sort of, like, Wi-Fi. She did try a few times to find, like, free Wi-Fi on their ventures, but she was never able to. She tried her absolute hardest. I don't see that she was successful, obviously, but she shows me she never stopped trying for those six months. Did he do anything with her in relation to sex trafficking at all? From what I gather, he was not part of sex trafficking rings in any capacity, but I do believe that once he was done with her, that's the direction he went with her. Did he sexually assault her at all? I do not feel as though he sexually assaulted her, thank God, but I do see that he would have eventually done so, but she continued to tell him, like, no. She told him that she had a boyfriend, she told him she had a family, And if she didn't want to do anything along those lines, he basically told her, like, oh, look, everyone forgot about you. Everyone assumed that she had run away. You know, he really manipulated the shit out of her. She shows me he had started to give her drugs and she was enjoying the drugs because it would, like, give her that escape away from her reality. He also enjoyed her stories about her life. She would tell him things while she was high. He would then suggest for her to, like, do things so that she wouldn't feel any pain anymore. From what I gather, they were staying pretty close to the Strip. Maybe one of those hotels turned, like, you know, rentals. I don't know if there was, like, a lock or something, but she was trying to escape. She was almost able to. He caught her, though, and then he decided that he needed to take a next step, and he contacted some of his drug folk. And according to Carly, they were interested in her a long time ago. And he was just allowing these people to finally take her because it was just too much work for him. Now she was sold to somebody who had connection to drugs then. Yes, she was given the name of Mackenzie because they didn't want her using her real name. He took her to this bridge, which is crazy because I've been there. I I 
remember being near the MGM Grand and the New York, New York Hotel. And for those who know, there's like an escalator going from New York, New York to MGM Grand to Excalibur. There's a few others as well, but there's also a bridge. And I see that he took her to meet up at this bridge with his drug dealer. And basically he sold her for drugs. Not a lot of drugs, but enough to get him high, and from what Carly shows me, she had never seen him again. She believes that he took those drugs that he obtained and really got fucked up and OD'd. Well, what happened after that? She did not do well in the drugs-slash-sex trafficking ring in any capacity because she was older. They were using her as a prostitute, but because she was, like, a public face, they did not allow her to go to the streets. They would have her in some sort of brothel uh, maybe an illegal brothel I, I know that they have a lot in Vegas but there's like a lot of younger underage girls here and it looks as though it was behind another business so perhaps you know the one business out front they would come in with a passcode I'm seeing something connected to like Aladdin or Arabian Nights or Magic Lamp I'm not exactly sure but they would say something like that and then they would go and bring them to the basement where these, you know, underage girls were. She rarely got to see the light of day, especially when her story started to pick up a little bit more. She was aware that her family was searching pretty heavily because she would, like, hear things on TV from time to time. How did Carly end up passing on? She's a brave girl. From what I gather, she was able to get her hands on a knife and she snapped. She cut someone pretty bad. They hurt her sadly, and this is not the first time that this had happened. But she shows me that this man was really evil and disturbing and abusive, and he was worse than the clients. He would get off on mutilation, so you can only imagine what she would go through. Yikes, I can only imagine. Now, there is some seriously fucked up people in this world. I don't know how people can, you know, mutilate, you know, people, especially minors. That's fucking weird. Right. So what ended up happening with her body then? There is obviously a lot of desert in Nevada. From what she shows me, he just pulled over, picked a spot in Nevada, fairly close to Death Valley. I see that there's this pimp that did bury some of his, you know, prostitutes there. And that's where she got buried. So it's not really a surprise. It's a very heavy area where people don't usually travel unless they have the proper gear to do so. It's like a... West Mesa Boneyard. I mean, I understand. You know, it's a it's a desert. Now, this poor family had no idea that any of this took place because in the manner that she left, she just up and vanished. So I hope that they can find some sort of justice. I do, too. She wants her family to know she hasn't given up, you know, on them finding the body. Everyone was good until this took place. She wants her mom to know she loves her very much. She wants her stepmom to know she's sorry, and she wants her dad to know it's okay. He did the best he could, and there was nothing more that he could have done, and she just wants everyone to start getting along again. That's what Carly really wants right now. Well, thank you, Carly, and thank you, Liz, for joining us today. Now, sadly, we just have had a very short week this week, so we were not able to complete the Freeway Phantom episode, but we will be completing that next week. In addition to part two of the Ryan Larson, next week it will be a great week. Now, looking forward to hearing what you got to say on that case and connecting with the spirits of the Freeway Phantom. And until next time, guys... Stay freaked out.